I want to uh, thank uh, Pastor Chris Goebel, who was here last week. Um, I went to put on my mic pack. His head is small. So, I've always accused him of having a big head, but um, that's not the case. So um, I'm grateful for him being here. Uh, last week, we, were, we had a wonderful time at our Brotherhood Retreat. I want to thank all of uh, you who prayed for our men as we gathered at the Brotherhood Retreat. Uh, what an amazing uh, uh, opportunity for our men. Um, thank you very much. Another thing uh, just that I want to share with you. So uh, we had our congregational meeting this past week. Our budget was accepted. Our slate of officers, elders, and deacons was accepted. But one of the things that is really a blessing, several months ago, I stood before you and told you that we were facing a $200,000 deficit by the end of May. And our financial management team says that you have cut that down to only a $45,000 deficit. Over $150,000 you guys have made up. Thank you, thank you. And if any of you want to give $45,000 so that we can end the year, that would be awesome too. And I know you laugh at it, but I didn't laugh. So uh, thank you. No, seriously, thank you very much for your generosity. Um, for those of you who don't know, my name is Pastor Ike. Uh, I want to welcome all of you who are here in person. Welcome those of you who are online. We are about to begin a new series. Um, and as I'll talk a little bit more about that in just a moment, but if you have your Bibles, your tablets, or your phones, I'd encourage you to turn to Genesis chapter 37. Genesis 37. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 18. Verse 18. They saw Joseph from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, Here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued Joseph out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to, their father, to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore. You might have known Joseph and his coat of many colors. Verse 24, and they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. And then they sat down to eat. And looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for twenty shekels of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. May God add his blessing to the reading of this, his holy and perfect word. Amen. Will you pray with me? Merciful God, open now our hearts and minds to the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that through your word and through the proclamation of your word, we may be changed 
conformed into the image of your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, it's a well-rehearsed proverb that history repeats itself. Now, I'm not going to ask you for any amens yet, all right? So just hang tight. Well, I'm the kind of guy that can oftentimes overanalyze everything. And I always, when I hear that phrase, want to say to myself, well, what does that mean? History repeats itself. Is it an encouragement? (laughs) Is it a warning? And sometimes I fall into that passive description uh, that I can often do uh, with history. You can pretty much ask anybody. They say, if you ask Pastor Ike the time, he'll give you the history of the watch. And uh, when I think about history and I think about nations, I think about that pattern of the rise and fall of nations. It's happened throughout history. There's revolution, then there is the rise of power, prosperity, and then suddenly complacency comes in, leading to poverty, ultimately to violence, and then to the next revolution. You might call it cyclical, you might call it a pendulum, you might just call it a line, a history that seems to repeat itself over and over and over again. And at cursory look, it does seem that history repeats itself. You can look at the ancient nations, from Mesopotamia to Persia, from Rome to Tsarist Russia, and you know what? As disconcerting as it may be, scholars are already writing papers and books projecting the fall of our nation, the United States of America, if not Western civilization. A warning? Maybe. Probably. Yet within every new rise of power, there is art and literature and music and beauty that thrive. After war always comes a season of peace. After war, there's always a season of prosperity. There's new discoveries. There's old rediscoveries of ancient wisdom. Maybe it's not a warning. Maybe it is an encouragement. History repeats itself. Well, at first glance, as a student of history, I'd like to think so. But I suggest to you that the real honest truth is that history does not repeat itself. Are you ready? People repeat history. It's a subtle difference. Well, in just a few weeks, Vacation Bible School kicks off. And I have to tell you, it's one of my favorite weeks of the year. Now, don't tell the elders this, but I tend to love Vacation Bible School week more than I love Holy Week leading up to Easter, more than I love Christmas. I know it seems weird, but just hang with me for a second. Vacation Bible School is a week where this place fills with kids and volunteers and music and Bible study and laughter and a few harried parents who are so excited and grateful for their break. Here, take them. But for me and for the staff, it is, and for the volunteers, it's a week of energy. Well, it's also a week of exhaustion, but every year... It is a week that fills this place with energy and joy. I encourage you to come and be a part of it if you're able. And every year since I've been here, I always like to take the whole church, all of you, in person, online, both services, 
through the lessons that the kids will be studying during vacation Bible school. I do this for a couple of reasons. First of all, I want you to know what we're teaching your children. Secondly, I want you to be as informed about the story so that when they come to you and ask you questions, which I pray they invariably will, that you'll be able to have a conversation with them. Now, of course, the presentation of these stories is a little different, assuming that you are a little bit more academically and rhetorically advanced than your children, although I've talked to some of you, you're not. (laughs) But this is the story of Joseph, one of the longest stories in the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, and of his amazing technicolor dream coat. Well... Probably the second service will laugh at that more than you will because they remember it. You probably don't remember that great musical in which I actually was a part in my days when I was in theater and drama. If you were born before 1960, you can remember that great musical, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Joseph and his coat of many colors and his ultimate work of preserving his family when they were sold into slavery into Egypt. This was actually my grandfather's suitcase. My son asked me what it was. My grandfather was born in 1892. You remember that, don't you, Pastor Joe? Let's see what I got in here. Look at that, a tie. That's second service, so don't worry about it. Ah, there's a good one. Hold on here. Let me just sit this down here. Close your eyes. You're not closing your eyes. I will do anything to make sure you remember these sermons. (laughs) Is the camera able to focus? That's what James was worried about. You have to understand this story is one of the major narratives in the Bible. Let me just say parenthetically, my wife never lets me wear this. So any opportunity I get to wear it, I take. The story of Joseph is that story that is the preface, if you will, to the moment when the Egyptians will be led out of the bondage in Egypt, commonly known in the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, as the story of the Exodus and their journey to the Promised Land. It's a story of redemption, And the story of redemption begins with a promise. That's when it really began. You have to go all the way back to the book of Genesis after Adam and Eve disobeyed God. You remember that. And in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God says, These are the words of God. I will put enmity between you and the woman, he says to the serpent, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. That great first prophetic word from God of the coming of Christ as he seeks to put Satan under his feet. 
and does. Now, from that prophetic verse, we see several major events that occur in your Old Testament. The flood with Noah, the Tower of Babel when the languages of humanity were confused, and then we meet this old man named Abram. Abram's name means father. And God changes his name from Abram to Abraham, which literally means father of many nations. Abraham and his wife Sarah will have a son, and his name will be Isaac. And then Isaac will marry a woman named Rebekah, and they will have two sons, Jacob and Esau. Now that is a story you'll never forget as they go through the family perils in that situation. Jacob, ultimately, will have 12 sons with his four wives. So we already know Jacob's not the smartest guy in the world. The four wives, Leah, Rachel, Bilhah, and Zilpah. There'll be a test after the sermon. One of Jacob's sons, Joseph, is his favorite. And to show he was his favorite son, he gave him a coat of many colors. Joseph does have a gift now. God reveals things to him through dreams. Mainly, God reveals to Joseph the future, what the future will look like. And one of Joseph's dreams is about how his brothers will someday bow down to him. Now, for those of you who have brothers and sisters, imagine the youngest saying that to you. Looking out at you, I can see some of you may have experienced that, that your youngest sibling said you'll bow down to them. What were your emotions? What would be your emotions? The favorite child, Lord over his older brothers? Was Joseph arrogant? Were his brothers jealous? Were his brothers envious? Well, in this case, it may be easy to accept the old dictum. History repeats itself. But as we get into the story, we'll see that too often we people tend to always repeat history. You remember these other stories in Scripture, don't you? Where these kinds of things happened between brothers, between siblings. Cain was jealous of his brother Abel. Remember that? Back in Genesis. And Cain killed Abel. Joseph's brothers were jealous of him. And like Cain, the only option that they saw was to kill Joseph. And so they decided to kill him. Well, or they would have killed him, except that it would be ever so much more convenient and profitable for them to sell him as a slave. Maybe the brothers knew the story of Cain. I don't know. Maybe they didn't want to see history repeat itself, for Cain was marked and forced to flee his family to strange and wild lands. I don't know. Kind of makes me wonder what was going through the minds of folks like Peter as he betrayed Jesus makes me wonder what is going through the minds of all of us when we have found ourselves in situations and in relationships where our anger and our envy was so deep that all we could think of 
were opportunities for betrayal. Maybe they thought back to Sunday school, and they remembered how Joseph desperately sought out his brothers in the wilderness. And maybe, just maybe, these brothers knew that as he drew near, their plan to kill him was significantly harder to do in actuality than it was to fantasize about. And if, in that moment, it caused them to pause and remember the first time they heard the master's voice, maybe it causes us to pause and remember the first time that we heard the master's voice. Jesus, who came to seek each of us out, just as Joseph went to seek his brothers and invited us into his fellowship. I wonder if Judas calculated the rate of inflation in the betrayal market. Joseph's brothers selling him for 20 shekels of gold, you know, but with a low but stable interest rate and growth rate 1,700 years later, maybe Judas thought, well, Jesus is worth more than 20, so I'll sell him for 30 shekels of silver. And 2,000 years later, do we find ourselves considering that same economic reality when we wonder what we would betray the name of Christ for? If history tries to do anything, it really tries to teach us lessons. But like my father always said, son, I wish more than anything that you could learn from my mistakes But generation after generation after generation, children are never able to seem to learn from the mistakes of their parents, and they have to make the same mistakes for themselves so that they'll learn. And if we think about it, in the quietness and holiness of this place, that's probably how it's been for most of us as well. When we repeat and renew our sins, When time and time again we find ourselves in situations where we want to do what our spirit tells us, but our body is not able. Does that sound familiar? That's the words of Paul. I want what I want to do, I cannot do. What I do not want to do, I cannot help but do. We've all found ourselves in those situations. We've all gotten up in the morning and said to ourselves, today I'm not going to offer an angry word. Today I'm not going to offer a word of betrayal. Today I'm going to be positive. Today I'm going to build relationships. And before we find ourselves in that day before it's over, we realize, man, I blew that one. How many times haven't you had a conversation with somebody? And as soon as the conversation is over and they've walked away, You say to yourself in a moment of deep self-reflection, man, I wish I hadn't have said that. I wish I had said this. I wish I hadn't have done that. I wish I had done this. And the truth is, just like Joseph's brothers, we often take it upon ourselves to go to that tomb of Christ and roll away the stone from that tomb, that empty tomb where Jesus is no longer in. You know, the tomb where your sins and my sins lay at the feet of that slab upon which the crucified body of our Lord laid, those sins defeat it and us set free. 
And without even knowing we're doing it, we gather up all of those sins and we resurrect them as well. We decide that they need to be raised from the dead. And we find ourselves in the same situations, the same old lies, the same old excuses, the same old grudges, the same old betrayals, again and again and again. Well, maybe if you're better than I am, you were clever enough to find new names for them. You know, there's nothing really new under the sun, right? But when the dust settles, when the passion subsides and we're no longer in a fit of rage or anger, and the wounds have been dealt with, then we see a beautiful robe stripped off. A robe that says that we are the beloved child of the Father, taken from our backs, dipped in blood, and a lie to go with it. Well, he or she, they were devoured by a fierce animal. The devil made me do it. I had a good reason for doing it. You would have done the same thing, Pastor, if you were in my situations. And you know what? You're exactly right. Now, we might try to excuse what we do and how we do it and what we say and how we say it by attributing it to fate. After all, history repeats itself, right? And we seem to repeat history over and over again. This is the church, brothers and sisters. That's where you are today. Not, not the bricks and mortar or the timber and nails, but the body gathered, each one of us. Guilty of betrayal, guilty of abandonment, guilty of being plagued by sins over and over and over again. This is the law. It is what we need to hear. It is what the Word encourages us to listen to. It is what the Word says you need to know where you are. You need to know where you are. For Christ is about to take you someplace else. This is a holy place. Because here, in this place, history is not repeated. It is remembered. And there's a subtle difference. Here, this is a place history is not repeated, but a word is recalled and proclaimed. Here, the sins of your history and my history come to be remembered and confessed. Not shoved under a couch, 
not having to pretend that it never happened, not having to say, well, there was a good reason that I did that. I'm not really guilty of it. The gospel does not say, well, you had a good reason. The gospel doesn't say, well, you couldn't help yourself. The gospel does not say, well, let's just pretend it never happened. No. The one who called us here shows us our sin, our rebellion, our jealousy, our envy. But here, the one who shows us those things also says that your garments, my garments, are dipped in blood as well. But it's not the blood of a wild animal. It's the blood of Christ. You see, it's important to see where we have come. It's important to understand the darkness that pulls us. It's important to be aware of the enemy and the war that we are engaged in every day is not a war of flesh and blood, as the New Testament says, but it is a war of spiritual powers and principalities that are your enemy. It wants to destroy you and me. My sins are real. They hurt. They've done damage. And they will have consequences. But here is what the gospel says. You are loved. Because God is God, the Bible says that he's able to do something that neither you or I can ever do. We shall forever remember the sins that others have committed against us. And unfortunately, even if we verbally seek to defend it over and over and over again, that it wasn't as bad as everybody thinks it is, the truth is in our hearts, we know it was. We can't forget. But the Bible says that God takes my sins and your sins, and he casts them into the sea of his forgetfulness. They hurt. They did damage. And my spouse may not be able to forget my betrayal, you're thinking. Will my children ever forgive me, you might ask. Will my parents ever understand how much I hurt. I suggest to you that the only memory that counts today is God's memory that He has forgotten. And when you go into the New Testament and we see those post resurrection instances where Jesus met with his disciples in his glorified body, that beautiful story when Jesus met his disciples at the sea and spoke to the man who betrayed him not once 
not twice, but three times. Did he forget Peter's betrayal? I don't know. I'd like to think so. I hope so. Because I see and I hear in the words of Jesus that in that moment, after having been betrayed, Jesus still wants to give Peter a new future. His future. A future that isn't just something that will impact him positively, but a future that will impact the whole church. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Tend my lambs. Do you love me? Feed my lambs. So what will Joseph do? He's escaped death, but in some ways now he faces a future that is greater than death. Slavery. His brothers betrayed him into bondage. Well, I want you to remember as we go through these next couple of weeks that one of my disciplines as I read Scripture, and I pray that you'll consider it as well, is that everywhere you read in the Bible, always be looking for Jesus, okay? Even if it's in the Old Testament. Matter of fact, I'm looking forward to our sermon series this summer, The Messiah, because we'll see the hope and presence and promise of the Messiah even before the Messiah was born to his mother Mary. And I pray that over these next couple of weeks as we spend time with Joseph, that you'll look for Jesus. What will Joseph do? Well, we, we, we know that Jesus replaces our broken past with his future, just like he did to Peter. Do you hear me? Jesus has come to give you a future different than your past. He has come to give you his future. Not only that, but he's come to give us a future that will go on and on and on forever. Listen, brothers and sisters, because here in this place, Jesus brings past and future to the present. Past and future to the present. The gifts of his cross, the forgiveness of our sins, and the preaching of the gospel through the waters of baptism, through bread and wine at his table, he rewrites your past into his future. A future where you will find yourself before the Father's throne someday. And you'll be amazed and astonished. As God the Father looks at you, he won't see your brokenness. He'll see the faithfulness of his son for you have been clothed in something far more valuable than a coat of many colors you've been clothed in Christ and he will hold you in his hand the same way that Jacob held his son Joseph's bloody garments in his and God the Father will say the same words that Jacob said. Because of the blood, 
that not only stains, but makes pure white. And these words, this is my son's robe. And because of that, God the Father will say to you and to me, this is my son. This is my daughter. And you thought this was just a story for children at vacation Bible school. It's a story that foreshadows the plan of the ages. A restoration of your relationship and my relationship with God our Father.